Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hey, Jay. How's it going, man? Well, I hope it's going all right. I uh, I noticed I, I listened to the beginning of last week's podcast because I just wanted to check and see how the audio levels were. And I was like, man, I do not sound very energetic at all. So I was like, okay, I got to get energetic today. So you hyped up. So I, so I hyped up. And uh-huh. one of the ways, then, as we were prepping before, um, we'd, you had pointed out, oh, what was it? What was it that you you mentioned in the sermon, something you would talk about um, in the podcast? And I was like, oh, I do remember saying that. What was it? And so we just embarked on a long journey. which and, inc- and it's odd because you and I aren't known for forgetting anything ever. No, never. Like we hear it is and we can say it back. Yeah, it is. Okay. So yeah, we did a lot of scrubbing tell. and triple sc- speed listening. Yeah, we listened to me <laughs> at double speed at every section. I mean, of course, it would have saved time if I would we just would have gone to the beginning and listened through the whole thing. But you and I both did that. I did it. You did it in your own headphones. And then I even like signed up for a free trial of a transcription service so that I could put the audio file in there and find it. And because I felt, I mean, I was like, man, we're spending a lot of time doing this. We could have the podcast done by now, but I felt a sense of responsibility to that. That if I said, I'm going to talk about something in the podcast that we need to talk about in the podcast, we were both feeling that sense. And so finally in the transcription service, I find it. And it was about my cats. And we both said, oh, I'm so glad we went to such great lengths. How dumb. I just remembered saying, oh, yeah, we'll talk about that in the podcast. And it was, yeah, stories about my cats. That was not worth an hour of our life, Jeff. We probably spent an hour doing that. It was 45 minutes. How long was that? If people only knew what we do, what we go through to make sure this podcast is valuable. I know. Well, yeah, and now it's going (laughs) to... And the the bummer is the other things on my list today are not going to magically get done because I spent 45 minutes doing that. Now I just get to... Oh, good gracious. That does not bode well for... So no, I'm not... I mean, there are stories about my cats. I don't even 100%... Do you want to tell us a story now? I I don't even 100% remember what I was... I remember in the moment thinking about going down that road, but then realizing, ah, that story isn't going to fit so well. And then, so in the moment I switched to a different story that I hadn't thought about that I thought fit better with where we actually were, where it had actually gone. And so I don't a hundred percent remember what I was thinking when I was thinking about the stories of my cats. So there you go. I have cats. I do like stories about your cats. I mean, they're, they're, you know, yeah. They're they're interesting. They're fun. But that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is not about cats. There you go. Well, actually, you know, in a weird way, we did just fulfill the promise and the commitment, right? Yeah, we did. We said we said we would talk about that, the stories and the cats in the podcast, and we did just talk about that. So yay. Point for us. Now let's move on to something more important. <laughs> Psalm what was 16. This, yeah, I was going to say, this is one of my absolute favorite psalms. I was so pumped when I saw that you were going to preach on that one. So I did because it's my wife's favorite. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And so I thought, well, maybe I should preach on that one. And I have to acknowledge that it's I, I would never have listed it as one of my favorites. Like off the top of my head, if I rattled off some of my favorite psalms, Psalm 16 
would not be one of them, not because I don't like it, but just because it's not on the top of my head. Like when I think obviously Psalm 23 and Psalm 46 and 139 and 119, I mean, there are a lot that pop into my head where I think, oh, that's, that's where I go, um, you know, in this, but this one, it's so good. And I loved, I don't know. I was wondering, did you, had you ever heard that before? I was reading Spurgeon, about this psalm, and he called it the precious secret. I was like, man, that is so. No, I had never delightful. had. It was that related to the mictum yeah. word. Yeah, that was cool. Yep. It's interesting how the psalms has a, a couple of those words where they're they're basically meaningless to us unless right. we <laughs> look them up, but right. they're in there. Um, yeah, that was helpful. Yeah, helpful introduction. Well, yeah, and then that all led one thing led to another, and we concluded, and that was great. So. We hope this has been helpful. Tune in again next week. (laughs) Next week when we talk about. Yeah. So, so is there anything that made you angry from this? Um, No, nothing. (laughs) Robbie and I used to ask that question all the time, and I think people thought (laughs) you actually just sit there and get angry. How about you? No, No, I mean, no, no. I didn't at all. I, I really loved it. I, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about. um, Let me see. I have my little notes here. we do, like you mentioned, how we we get surprised by the world. We get surprised that things are broken or that things don't go right all the time. And it feels like when you say it out loud, it feels very obvious that we shouldn't be surprised yeah. by that. But I'm curious, like as you were thinking that through and bringing that up, do you feel like there's a there's reasons that especially someone who's following Jesus would be so surprised? Is it just that we're getting caught up in it and in some sort of idolatry or what is it? Why are we so surprised? Like, why do we feel like even that we need to repeat all the bad things that happen all the time? Like, because they're so shocking to us. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, I mean, so one of the things that struck me about this passage was, was that last verse, you know, and just realizing when you're talking about the precious secret and he concludes with, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I just thought, man, what what is the human pursuit if it's not that? Like figuring out how does the world works? How does the world work? How to pursue happiness, how to find happiness, and how to live with hope that it's, it's all meaningful. And... I was just struck, and I mentioned it in the sermon, but I really was struck by just the nature by which we so subtly create our own versions of what the Bible says, sometimes in just very overtly opposite to what Jesus is actually saying or what God is saying throughout the whole narrative. And how often so much of our um, discontent, our disillusionment, our sorrow, all that is, is rooted in just a, a faulty understanding of just how things work and how often, um, we, how often we just miss, um, really basic things that God says about how the world works. And we just, we hear it and then we say, yeah, but I really think it works this way. And it's not always super overt like that. We don't always, you know, know that we're, we don't always know we're doing it. So then I guess the bottom line is the reason why we function in a surprised way to me is only can only be indicative of we don't understand how things work 
um, you know, I think about, and there's just so many examples of this in our, in our world. So if, imagine at your workplace, someone doesn't show up to work on time several days in a row, and then they get fired. If you've ever been seen someone like receive some kind of discipline or punishment and they act surprised and they're just shocked at the injustice of it. And you're looking at it going, well, what did you expect? Like that's, you know, you're required to be here on time and you never call and let anybody know and you leave everybody else hanging. Like you're going to get disciplined and possibly fired. Um, you know, I think about it in, in sports, if you argue, I just saw, watched the Cubs game yesterday and, um, which they beat the Brewers by the way. So that was fun. But, um, their manager and their first base coach both got thrown out in, in extra innings for arguing balls and strikes. If you're a baseball fan, you know, if you argue balls and strikes, you're going to get thrown out. And what's always interesting is sometimes the manager will act super surprised and you're like, how are, if you're surprised, it's because what happened by definition, what happened is not what you were expecting to have happen. Now, I'm not saying every time we're surprised is because we're thinking unbiblically about things, but I am saying from a big picture point of view, we often act really surprised when we as Christians face any kind of suffering or any kind of persecution or when the world doesn't function the way the kingdom functions. And then we're surprised and we're caught off guard. And when we're surprised, I think all of us would acknowledge that being surprised is not the best thing if you're going to react in a positive way. Like most of us do not react in a way we normally would when we're surprised. If yes. someone jumps out from behind a corner, like I'm going to shriek at a very high octave. That is not something I normally do. I don't go around shrieking at high octaves unless I'm doing Pearl Jam and, <laughs> or Cranberries impressions. Um, but but I react poorly. And so when someone catches you off guard with something, that's sometimes when we say things we regret, we function in a way that we regret and it's because we're caught off guard. Yeah. I, that, I love how you put that. The surprise is coming from things didn't go how I expected or what I was expecting. And to me, it's interesting. It ties in with another important point you were making about what kind of person are we becoming, you know, related to, are we becoming more and more joyful is that characterizing our inner life and then the way we speak and act in the world? Are we becoming more and more bitter? I also thought like, are we becoming more and more grumbly, yeah. kind of gr just grouchy mm -hmm. people? And uh, I think that's related to what you're expecting as well. You know, like, so why would we be surprised, for example, another one that came to my mind when you were saying that was when a, when a company, like a corporation, doesn't act like a follower of Jesus, Right. And their, their motive, their goal is to make money. That is their point for their existence. Right. And when they don't act like we think they should, there's outrage and there can be this surprise. And like you said, the reaction might not be helpful and it actually might deter from the very thing we're upset about, um, from us accomplishing. And to me, it really, I don't know. I think that in your, in your whole sermon, I don't think it was one of the main mm. points you were making, but I think it's really helpful to, for us as followers of Jesus to, to think that through. Like when we enter our day, it's not that we're going to be pessimistic about the day and think it's just going to be horrible and everyone's just going to, you know, cut me off in traffic and yell at me out the window or whatever. But when things like that happen, that is kind of par for the course. It's, it's not going to be the end of the world for us. Jesus promised us actually that that would happen. Like there would be in the world, we will have trials. We'll have tribulations. Right. There will be struggles. 
it's just to me the mentality of like i'm going to trust him in that and i'm going to be prepared to overcome it with good is so different than like you said the yelp like the the yell that comes when we're surprised i think that il- that il- that image is very helpful jay well and yeah i mean you talked about optimism so then yeah you could you could ask the question of oh so then we're supposed to be pessimistic and i'm saying no mm-hmm. Because my optimism isn't grounded in the immediate circumstances of the world. My optimism is grounded in in my trust that Christ is working all things together for good. And, you know, again, when you talk about James and, and count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, it's because of what it produces. And so we've been talking about this, that I'm not surprised when trials hit. I'm optimistic that regardless of what happens, God is still very much in control and he is going to use it. If I, if I'm trusting him, it will produce joy and it will produce a deeper sense of communion with him. And it'll be an opportunity to declare his glory there. So that's where the optimism is. There's a false kind of optimism that is like, I'm just sure everything will, you know, that everything will work out in the world. And then there's a pessimism that goes with, well, I know that the world's broken, and so that is also not faith. But it's it, it there's a Christian optimism that that goes with not being caught off guard, so that when when things happen, you're like, yeah, it doesn't deter me, it doesn't slow me down. You know, you imagine. Um, I mean, again, I, I don't want to use a lot of sports. I'm in a sports frame of mind right now. I think it's because I'm a Cubs hat on. Cause, yeah, I see that. Um, but. But like a, a team doesn't get deterred just because the other team scores, you know, maybe in soccer, cause that may be over then, yeah. but like in, in football or basketball or baseball, you know, the other team scores and you, you don't think like, ah, oh, here we go. You just, you're, if you're still optimistic, it's because you're optimistic that you're going to be able to overcome that. And that, um, that, that ultimately there is good. And, um, then that comes from God. And I think, so that optimism, I think just being prepared just shows I'm, I'm not cut off guard. It just not, it's not going to knock me off kilter, right? And, and to your point about being surprised, I mean, that's happening right now. So this would be an interesting conversation about this. So obviously right now there, there's a lot of, I mean, we just have a lot of culture war going on right now. And a big thing on both sides of the aisle has been boycotting. Yep. And I've thought about that of, well, how should a Christian handle that and just as you're saying that about um you know why would we be surprised that a a secular company i mean now people are getting upset with chick-fil-a because they're not they're, they're not functioning as the church basically and so why would we be surprised in a capitalistic society that a business's main objective is to make money and uh, you know that that's their job and um, that's, that's why they exist. So why are we surprised? We shouldn't be surprised. And I think the difference though, is that doesn't mean, okay, so here, let me, let me see if I can play this out. It doesn't, I, I wouldn't, it doesn't mean that a Christian response is, is not to boycott. Like I, I don't have any issues with boycotts. I have no issue. Like they business have businesses have a freedom in this country to function the way they want to. And consumers have the freedom um, to choose whether they want to buy something or not. It's one of the benefits of living in a capitalistic society is that if I have you know, two businesses that do the same thing, I can decide which place I want to buy my milk from. 
I can decide which place I want to buy, you know, have my tie, you know, purchase tires from. I, I have that choice. That is a gift that we have in this country. So by all means, um, if you, uh, like we all do that in miniature ways. Like if you, if, if you were eating at a restaurant and you found out that they were treating their employees poorly, you might choose not to go back to that restaurant. Like that's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what, where we fall into problems is when it is, um, when we boycott with using anger and fear and propaganda and vitriol and bitterness and kind of a, well, we'll show you kind of mentality, which none of that is Christ-like. So I think, I think if Jesus walked the earth today, I think there probably would be businesses he wouldn't go into. And yep. I wouldn't even 100% always know why. But I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be standing at the threshold of that business and yelling at them about, you know, why why he's not, you know, buying bread from them or whatever the case is. Yeah, does that make sense? Like, and I does. feel like one is one is surprised that they're doing that. The other is, oh, that's not surprising. Um, we live in a broken world and their pursuit is to make money. And so I can decide whether I'm going to participate in that. Yep. Yeah. And, and you can do so without resorting to sin while doing it. Right. And, yep. and I think that's the part that I think if we can get over the surprise part that most people following Jesus, if they really thought that through the way you just described, don't want to respond sinfully. Like if you ask someone, would you like to boycott sinfully or right. peacefully and out of love for the world yeah. that God made, people would say that. But I, I do think because they lived under the illusion that all along this place of whatever it was, was on their side, whatever that meant. Right. And now they realize they're not. Yeah. They're, they're shocked and yeah. surprised and feel maybe betrayed by it. Yes. And to me, we cannot, none of us needs to, when we follow Jesus, become so intertwined with those things in the world. They're, they're, we can be blessings where we go. And we, like you said, Jay, we choose where to spend our money. There's some for all of us who follow Jesus places that are very obvious that we would never spend our money. Right. They're just, there are right. some come to mind immediately. But, but then I think when we get down to, like you said, culture war stuff, um, things that are more controversial, that's when I think, especially people, images of sinful, angry people come to mind. Yeah. Not calm, peaceful, loving, you know, responses. Um, and there's a reason for that. And part of it's what gets, you know, displayed and shown, but part of it's that's the way our, what our heart does when we're shocked by the brokenness in the world. And it is hard to deal with. I mean, it is. It is really hard when we see horrible things happening. But we also need to remember that's not doesn't mean the kingdom of God is threatened in any way. God no. isn't wringing his hands over what this business just no. decided to do. No. That that thought, by the way, really helps me. A mentor of mine said that phrase to me years ago. Like, is God wringing his hands over that? It's like, no, he probably isn't. Actually, I know he's not. <laughs> that is not his main concern for me or for the world for today. Um, so yeah, I think the, the, the ramifications of this Psalm are like, in like for all the Psalms are radical. They're radically different. And I think I loved how you highlighted, um, and this, this segues kind of into the next thing I really wanted to hear you talk some more about and discuss was this idea that part of what happens when we're shocked or disappointed with our circumstances is we find that actually we have been banking on or building our life around 
something other than God, something that ends up right. being an idol, a false God that holds out some promise of whatever it is the thing we want, you know, whether it's the joy or a fuller life, whatever it is. And when that happens, we get angry. And sometimes we actually get angry at God. And you said something I thought that was really helpful, that God does not bless idols. And I'd, I'd no. love if you could just talk some more about that and and we can maybe unpack a couple of specific examples yeah, for people. And it's so hard. So let's be really clear. When we say an idol, I think Tim Keller uh, had a, always had a great definition of that is, is idolatry is when is often when you take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. So there are worshiping just false gods, gods that we call gods. Yeah, like uh, with na- they have names. Yeah, and they right? have names and they, you know, so other than the God of the Bible. And so that's one kind of idolatry. But for especially in the church, that's typically not the case. Nobody... I didn't see anyone on Sunday come in and say, I worship, you know, the God named George, you or, know, and so, like Krishna, for example. Right. Yeah. Well, I was trying to go more generic, but okay. yeah, that's right. Yeah. You don't just like a named God, right? You don't, we don't see that, but we do, our hearts are wired to worship. And so idolatry is often when we take a good thing and we make an ultimate thing. And what he meant by that is um, the idea of say, I could, I, I could idolize my family. You know, I could idolize my wife. She's meant as a gift. Like our marriage is a gift that is meant as a good gift. But if I turn that into an ultimate thing, that something that I, where I hang all of my meaning, all of my identity that I, I worship and I need it, it's the thing I can't live without. Well, now I've turned that marriage into an idol. And, and so or, you know, working hard when people say like, well, so we're, you know, are we not, you're saying we're not supposed to work hard and, and pursue a career. I'm not saying that, but there's a difference between making, you know, receiving something as a good gift, like my job and idolizing it and making it an ultimate thing, a thing that I cannot live without, a thing that defines me. Because when that happens, then our whole identity, all of our joy, all of our peace is all hinged on that. Whatever we worship, that's where our joy and our peace and our hope is um, is aligned. It's it's tied to that wagon, and it will ride with whatever whatever happens to it. So if if you idolize financial security, so your retirement account, your retirement home, your retirement plans, your you know college fund for your kids, whatever the case is, if you idolize that. Well, then your joy and your hope and your peace will ride up and down with the stock market. You know, if you idolize your marriage, then all of those things will go up and down with how your relationship with your spouse is at the time, how well your kids are doing if you idolize your family. Even if if you idolize the country, then you will grow hopeless and despairing and, and upset at everyone else because they're, they're ruining your idol. Like they're, they're, making your your joy and your peace are all going up and down with all the things that are happening in your country. And what we often do is we we ask God as we worship these idols, we ask God to bless our idols. We ask him to Lord Lord make, you know, please help this idol that I'm worshiping. Like I want I I want to have peace and joy and the way I want it is for you to bolster my idol. Which would be as Nuts as, you know, you think about Elijah and and the whole issue, you know, like the prophets of Baal and all of that. It would be like 
if the, the people prayed to God, to Elijah's God, and say, please let Baal's prophets be successful here because we want to continue to worship him. And if you, if you destroy our idol, then we'll, have nothing, then we'll be despairing. So please help the idol win. I mean, it's just... Well, when you put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's just so weird. And how many people I find, and it's so sad to me, I understand, but I just, it grieves me to see how many people um, are angry and bitter towards God because God refused to pave their way to destruction. So God took this relationship away from me. And I'm looking at it going, that relationship was terrible. Mm-hmm. You idolized it. Your whole identity was wrapped up in that relationship. So you're asking God to pave the path to sorrows, a multiplication of sorrows, as you're chasing this other God. You know, God, if you idolize your health, like is God a good God if he paves your way towards idolizing that? Or is he actually merciful and kind if your health goes away and you realize that idol is a false god and you turn to the true god? What what price do you think God should, you know, like what do you think he's going to withhold? He, he who gave up his own son, you think there's anything that he's going to stop at to say, I'm not, I can't pave your path to destruction. I won't pave your path to destruction. And the irony that we that we take as evidence that God is unloving because he doesn't pave our path to destruction is like, I, and I feel like that's hard to communicate because then it's so hard for us, and that's why it comes back to that whole good or ultimate thing. It's so hard for us to see how something that is meant to be good, how that could ever be bad. But I think all of us, and usually we see it more clearly in others than we do in ourselves. Well, and you made me think that actually you're describing that conversation with someone about a relationship ending and from their perspective, it's an, you know, disaster. And from your perspective, you're thinking actually that wasn't headed in a life-giving way place anyways. So I, it made me think we really do need each other to identify these. And I think sometimes asking a question, um, of another person rather than just assuming, cause we don't know, like I, none of us know what's it in the heart of another person. But if it looks externally like this, this is really taking all your energy. Everything in your life seems to be a means to this end. So like money, for example, yeah. the way you evaluate if life is going okay is always related to that. Um, and sometimes that's the people closest to us, you know, like a spouse or a, a family member or a close friend. They might know before we, before we know. And and that's what, you know, it takes sensitivity and it takes love. It's not an accusation. It's a It's a loving question. And we might, you know, it could be worth a worthwhile conversation to have with someone to, to basically invite them into that to say, Hey, I'm thinking about this concept. Yeah. Do you, does anything come to mind that I might want to pray about? Uh, that would be like, just basically to open the door for someone else to speak into, because isn't it terrifying to think of that, to be enslaved? Yeah. To be enslaved to a false God yeah. that, that is ruling over us. We have submitted to, we're bowing down to figuratively in our lives, but we don't realize it. And to me, that is ter- a terrifying idea. And then we're even asking God to bless that thing. Yeah, that's We the wouldn't do that, that knowingly. No, right? no, we wouldn't. And I do think like, just so just think logically how that works. If you idolize, if, if I turn my children into an idol 
and their success and everything like, and I worship their, so I do whatever I can. I put them in all the greatest sports programs or get them the academic help that they need or whatever so that they achieve. Then that's a burden that they, that's a weight they can't carry. And, and when they fail to live up to those expectations, you're not actually free to love them in that moment because your idol is being threatened, which then leads to control and, you know, panic and anxiety. Same way with financial market or whatever. We're not free when, when something's just a good gift and it gets altered in some way, we are resilient in that because our, our God, when we're worshiping the true God, he's unshakable and unchangeable. And so that he doesn't, there are no roller coasters with him. He is who he is always. But I, I just, I think too, that our unwillingness to acknowledge that um, becomes really dangerous. I mean, I've said before that, that the quickest way um, to damage something you love is to turn it into an idol because you put a weight on it that it cannot bear. You will not be free you won't be free to just work and do your job if you idolize your work and you idolize making money. You'll, you, you won't. It, it, it can't handle that burden or that weight of being a god. It can't fulfill on that. So it will fracture that relationship, whatever it is, that whatever the thing is that you're idolizing. And um, I think about that with our country. Like there's just that has come up so often. And one of the things that people ask me you know, when I say the things I do about the kingdom of God is our pursuit and is like, well, don't you want to see our country, you know, be healthier and to culturally turn, you know, turn towards God and see revival? And I say yes a million times over. But one thing I, I hope that people understand is the thing that would destroy our country are not the are not the people who go against the values that we think are most important. They're the people who would idolize our country through the values that we think are most important. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's a subtle difference. It's a really subtle important. difference, but what will bring down, and you see it in other, it's it's the idolization of a country or of a particular um, thought process, you know, philosophy of how things should go. That that's what actually brings it down, because um, that's when you think, look at the Old Testament. You know, when when God's people idolize something else, whether it's a king or a way of living, it's God's kindness and his mercy that he takes that idol away so that we won't worship. We Like, it would be unloving of God to continue to let us believe a lie, to aid in us believing a lie to continue to prop up almost like the wizard of Oz kind of a thing where just like, he's just going to hide behind the curtain and make you think that this is awesome because he doesn't, why? Cause he doesn't want us to be sad for a short time, you know, and any of us as a parent, none of us would ever do that to our kids. Like if you're, if you're, if you love your children, you would not continue to falsely prop up something that you know is going to ultimately destroy them and make them think like, continue to think that this is good, right? Like you're going to, you you want them to see that the thing that they're that they think they need that their hopes are hinging on. You want them to see that that's that's actually not worthy of your pursuit. And I, I and I think that's hard for people to grasp. They think that, again they just they want God to bless 
the road to destruction. So it's it's interesting too, how, when you talk about when we assign, like we make something else a God, how it harms that thing. So like, for example, and especially with people. So when we make a person, whether it's a, a specific relationship or desire for that, a God of any kind, we really end up harming that person because they can never bear the weight of that. No. You know, and usually almost always, we're not going to ever have the thought, this person is my God. That, that just be clear about that. We're not saying that you're actually consciously in your journal writing, this person's now my God and I'll worship them. It's, it's the weight that you put on them to fulfill you. So if they are not okay, if they don't do this thing, if they don't treat you this way, then I'm not okay. And I'm, that no one can ever right. bear that weight. Henry Nowen, kind of famous author, Christian author, he talks about um, needing to basically ask for forgiveness for not being God for other people. And that's an interesting idea that like we will let people down. Uh, we will. That's just going to be inevitable, especially if the weight of being some sort of fulfillment or God to them is placed on us. We will always let people down. So it's interesting how idolatry harms us internally when whenever yeah. we do that, but then it has great negative impacts on the things in the world that we that we make into idols as well. Yeah, do you think so and I think it's most subtle when it when it is involved when it involves the church and religion of any kind. I mean that's that's in some ways the most dangerous. It's it's always the things that look good yes that are and that are again they are good things that then become ultimate things and so i when you were saying that i was thinking of over the years of ministry how often i've had somebody come to whatever church i've been serving and it's always a red flag when they say something along the lines of well i was going to this church but they they upset me or they let me down and then usually their first few weeks here, you know, or whatever church, like we're the best. And I always am thinking, yep, until someone lets you down because it's going to happen. But it that's an, in, that's an indication that there's an idolatry of the church that you're, you're as an organization, that you're going after this thing and it, that this is supposed to satisfy me. The church is supposed to give me meaning. The church is supposed to satisfy me. This church is supposed to, and the church is a gift that God gives, but we, but the church cannot handle the burden of actually being God. And when that happens, then it's only a matter of time before the phone call didn't come quickly enough, or they didn't notice I was gone, or they, you know, somebody said this thing to me in the small group and it upset me and, or, you know, I just didn't want to go enough, you know, like I, I, I kind of lost my enthusiasm and that's the church's responsibility. And then they go to a different church. And that was part of the thing I was pointing out in, um, in the sermon where I just said, if you continue to go down that road and you don't check, like part of what I wanted to do in the sermon was just to give people some checkpoints to say, do I see these trends in my heart? Am I becoming more bitter or am I becoming more joyful? Am I becoming more at peace? Or am I becoming more filled with anxiety and fear um, at my circumstances? Um, because the road that that leads down is, it leads to being alone. And I've just, I've seen it a lot. I've seen it a lot in people who, for example, just specifically with churches, that if you hop around, 
that eventually you're just going to, and in this day and age, you can go online and just settle for just watching a sermon online and be totally isolated and not be in the church family because you were never able to find a church that does it right. And that's, and, and that's a, that's a sorrowful, despairing place to be. That's not where we're supposed to be. And so I just really wanted to make it clear of, you see this path that if, if you are judging everything according to what makes sense to you, according to your standards, this is the way the world works. That's going to lead to frustration um, and, and fear. And then as you, as you have to reconcile, well, the world doesn't work the way I think it's supposed to work, then you're going to look at other people and blame them. It's, it's that church's fault. It's those people's fault. It's that neighbor's fault. It's that po- political party's fault. And so you blame and you become an accuser of others, which makes you more bitter. And as you grow in that bitterness, you end up in despair and sorrow because it's all hopeless because the path that you're on is chasing whatever that is. And, and I'll be upfront and say, in my life, I've noticed the indicators of that before I've identified the idol. And that's probably something I wish I'd had more time on Sunday to really kind of reverse engineer that and to say, these are the indicators. If you just ask yourself, do I find myself becoming more joyful or more bitter? That probably reflects that I'm really frustrated. Like if I'm becoming more bitter, it's probably reflecting I'm really frustrated that things aren't working the way that I think they're supposed to work. Whereas joy comes from a person who's at peace with knowing that God is in control and looks around and says, yeah, God, you said this was going to be the case. Like, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm not thrown off by this at all. And you'll notice that before you can just pinpoint, oh, I'm like, I'm idolizing, which so, I don't know how you have reacted to this, but in the past I've I've had people, I've even asked that question of like, what are some idols in your life? That's a hard question to ask. Yeah. I remember actually about 20 years ago. A, a pastor, really close friend of mine too, asked me that question. And at first I, I didn't have any context for like what that would mean. But then we talked about like what's controlling your behavior or what, like you just said, what makes you happy? What, what devastates you if it, if it's withheld from you, that really helped, you know, like what really upsets that's me, a key one. Yeah, you know, um, or what makes me really anxious. It's like, well, that's whatever that thing is that that's being withheld from you. That could be, it doesn't mean it is, but it could be something that we've made into an ultimate. But yeah, usually starting at the place of name the idol, for, for many of us at least, we won't be able to do that right away. No, I'm not able to. But yeah, that what what would upset you? Like if it was taken away, what do you say, what would you say in your life that you, you say, well, I, I can't live without this? Mm-hmm. If this got taken away, then then like I, I I wouldn't be able to handle that. Then that's that's probably indicative that at least there's a, a um at least a leaning towards idolatry in that. And so then the question is like, well, what do you do? Like let's say, let's say that you realize, man, I've really been idolizing my marriage. And that often happens when we look to our spouse to fulfill us in a way that only Christ is called to. And so we if our spouse, if that dynamic isn't going well, then everything, it, it negatively impacts everything, um, which then, um, to your point, harms them. Because again, if, if I'm looking to my wife to basically be God for me and fulfill, be fulfilling to me, then when she's not, 
my response is not going to be gracious and loving. It's going to be either frustration and bitterness towards her or towards God for not making her yes. the spouse that she's supposed to be. And so that's an indication of idolatry. Whereas if I'm not idolizing my wife, when when she's not when she's not firing on all cylinders and she's struggling, then being filled by Christ, I'm going to be able to love and meet her where she is and serve her in that. So the question is, what do you do? Like my question would be, what do you do if you realize you're idolizing? Like if I realize I'm idolizing my wife, what do I do? Do I divorce her? Because, you know, it's better to enter the kingdom without a hand, like cut it off, throw it away in the fire. Do you just, you know, throw it out the door or, or what's, what's the answer in some of those? Cause sometimes it's easy. Yeah. It depends right? on sometimes, the idol. Yeah. Like if you're, if you realize you're idolizing that you're idolizing fishing and you just decide, you know what, I need to cut this out of my life because I just, I can't have a healthy relationship with this. I, it just consumes me and you threw away all your fishing poles. I'd be like, okay, mm-hmm. that may or may not be, that's not the only way to deal with that idol, but that that's a legitimate way of dealing with it. But it wouldn't be for a marriage. It wouldn't be for the church. If you realize you're idolizing the church, the response wouldn't be like, well, then that's why I don't go to church anymore because it's too much of a temptation to idolize it. So what do you oh, do? I haven't heard that one before. Oh, you haven't? No. I ha- <laughs> I was just thinking that's clever. Yeah. Isn't that a clever <laughs> twist on things? Yeah. Like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to pursue idolatry. So I've been like, so what do you do in those situations where you can't just cut that idol out of your life. Well, especially, you know, we're talking about things that are actually good things in and of, of themselves. They're not sinful things, right? So we're not yeah, talking about... Things. Even fishing. Yeah. I mean, I don't like fishing. Because there are some things that we seek um, fulfillment in that actually are outright wrong. And and I think the way you handle those things are differently. But um, but if it's, if it's something that actually is good in and of itself, but we've made it bad because we've made it ultimate, right. like the way we approach it, to me, the very first thing, this is a, this is an issue between you and God immediately. So there's a, there's a heart of repentance that, that act of repentance and commune with God has to happen right away. Hmm. And because I don't think that there's going to be one answer for every situation, like you said, so one person's idolatry with fishing might mean all the poles have to leave. Another person might mean, actually, you know what? That's just going to be one, once a week or once a month that I'm going to do that. Cause I still really enjoy it. And I still it's a relational thing or whatever. So I, I think that the first thing that has to happen though is repentance because ultimately the thing that is really wrong with it isn't, is the worship. It's the, and worship is a heart. It, it, a heart that is expressed with our actions outwardly. So the time we devote to it or whatever it is. So we start with that, right? This vertical relationship with God that needs, it needs addressing and, we know that he's been grieved by that false worship, both because we're missing out on what we could have with him and also because of what it's doing to us. He's grieved by both things. What would, what would you like, what would you say? No, like, I think that? that's so good. And I think, I think you hit on, you touched on one thing that I think is really critical. I'd want to draw out, which is it's going to look different for different people. Yes. One of the mistakes we make in the church is when I see something becoming an idol for me, I assume that is for everybody. And so we want to apply that to everybody. And what we tend to do then is we either we either think we judge other people for not having the same convictions we have about something, um, or we use other people's um, freedom as a license to sin for ourselves. 
Yes. So for example, like just to keep going on that fishing thing, if you and I both loved fishing and we even communicated to each other, man, I feel like this, I've been kind of over prioritizing this. This has become kind of an idol. I realize that I'm like living for this. Um, well, you might, you might have determined that you're okay to go that, to, you know what, I'm just going to do this once a month. I mean, go out on a Saturday and once a month and I'm going to do this and it's, and I'm really enjoying that. But I realize I can't do that. Well, what can happen is either I say, no, I got to cut this out completely. And so one thing is I could judge you for not. So I could yes. grow in self-righteousness because, well, I was willing to cut this thing out completely, but you're still doing it. The other thing that could happen is by seeing you do that, thinking like, well, no, if Jeff is okay going once a month, then I am too. And then I actually continue in my idolatry because I'm just mimicking what somebody else does. So I think that nuance is so critical, which is why, again, you need community. We need people to process with. We need to be able to say, um, for one person, this could be sin. And for another person, it's not when you're talking about these um, these good things. And we want we always want black and white. And, and again, I go, I, whenever that happens and I always go back to Paul and, and dealing with the whole question of should you eat meat sacrificed to idols, it was just be so mind blowing because there just was not a bigger cultural issue that the church was dealing with, you know, arguably than that. There were, there were a few that were in that top tier, but this is a top tier thing. And so they go to Paul for the answer, which is the right way. And he basically gives them a big f- old fat it depends like where's your heart in it. And so I I think that that's really critical. And so what, what, what I would say is with that repentance is a desire to not have any idols in your life. So if you get into a situation where you say, well, I want to try to, what I want to do is I want to just try to balance this idol with God. That's dangerous. The other thing is to say, you know what, I will, I'll give up anything. I mean, that's what you see in scripture is it's, you know, the rich young ruler and so many other places, just follow me and be willing to give up anything. That's a heart posture, not like always tangibly. Um, And so I think, especially in those good things, I think it takes community. I think if you're talking about a, a good thing, I mean, there are good things like fishing and then there are good things like marriage. In this case of a marriage or parenting, or maybe even your job, because you you need that job to support your family, and you've got to figure out how to redefine. Here's what I would say: is simply that if God God's never going to call you to follow Him by disobeying Him, He's never going to you're you're never going to find yourself where God says, "Well, I need you to obey me in this." And so therefore I'm going to have, and and the way to do that is to dishonor me in this other way. So I'll give you an example. A long time ago, back when we were in Colorado, I knew a guy who felt like he was called to go basically to the ends of the earth to share the gospel, but his wife didn't want him to do that and didn't want to go with him. And so he was ready to leave his wife because in his mind, I'm being called to go and share the gospel to lost people in the world. Like was a high, more, was a higher calling than that. And I had to like, you know, I'd walk through this with him and talk through it with him. And, um, you know, he talked, he would, he would talk about Paul. And, and I remember at one point saying like, well, but Paul wasn't married. 
Like when you, when you get married, God's not going to call you to dishonor your wife in pursuit of obeying him. And this is often a challenge for people who are married to a non-Christian. This issue can come up with tithing, for example. It can come up with a lot of things. How do you balance, how do you, how do you both honor God and worship him fully? But then part of that is by honoring, you know, your spouse and by loving your spouse. And he's not going to call you to dishonor, like to disobey him in one area so you can obey him in another. Like that it's you just won't do that. And so I think um I think I've seen I've seen people sabotage their own marriages and use pursuing God as a an excuse or a license to detach from their spouse and to, you know, essentially dishonor them. Um and I would just say that that's that's why it's so complex and it's so nuanced and why we need help in kind of sorting through all those things and realizing that um, that there is a way, whatever situation you're in, if God, um, God will give you a path forward. Like there's never, there's never a path that you go on where God just says, well, that's a dead end. Hmm. Like there's no, sorry, I don't even know how you get it. I don't know how you'd untangle that. He always has a path forward. There is always a step of faith to take in that and to not worry about what does that mean long-term. It, to, to just take that next step, and we, we harp on this all the time, that the most pleasing thing to God is to take the step of faith that's right in front of you, that small step of faith, and those things add up to big things. So I think I would say, along with repenting, yeah, you know, I would just say I would say be faithful in small things and take take that first step. So if you realize you're idolizing your marriage, start by confessing to God, like you said, and then confess to your. Maybe it means confessing to your spouse and saying, "Hey, I've been I've been placing on you a weight of fulfilling me that is not fair, and that's been really hard on our marriage. Um, you know, and I'm sorry for that." that it, it may be there. It could be going and, and seeking counsel from friends and saying, how do I, how do I redefine this relationship? How do I re, how do I shift gears? And by the way, we have a lot of people in our church who have walked that road. Like if you're, if you're in that situation, we have a lot of people who could probably walk with you through that, who, who know what that's like and have had to redefine their marriage. And they're now in a much better place because they stopped putting that weight on each other or they stop putting that weight on their children um, or they stop putting that weight on, on their job. We have people who used to identify themselves based on how fulfilled they were in their career. And now they've, they've gotten to a place where they could work anywhere and feel fulfilled because their fulfillment isn't in their job. It's in Christ. And so these are the subtle things that we say and the things I think we take for granted when we say them, but they have their, they are real things, right? Like there, and, and if there's anything that I hope that we got, um, you know, get from any of this is like, let's just not be a people that does lip service, you know, that says all the things and we say like, Oh, you know, to God be the glory. Or we say, you know, like, Oh yeah, I put God first, you know, um, but not even knowing what that means and not thinking about, well, what is, what does that actually mean? Like, do I really, Am I really worshiping God or to be, but to be transparent rather, and to realize idolatry is a part of all of our battles. You're never going to get to a place until heaven. You will never get to a place where idolatry is not an issue for you. 
or for me or for anybody. Like we all, we have to be on guard against that and watch how our heart becomes attached and to go full circle. And I know I rambled about that, but the first indicator is like, if you ever notice in yourself, like an emotion or any kind of anxiety or anything that's not of the spirit, fear, anger, bitterness, you know, frustration that leads to, you know, just behavior that you're like, this is not the fruit of the spirit. That's a time to take a step back and say, okay, what's producing this in me? Because what we tend to do is we get really angry, like we talk about the boycotting, get angry, say all kinds of vicious things that we would never say are Christ-like. But we quickly, any sense of conviction, we quickly thwart in our own hearts by justifying it based on what the situation is. Yep. So we think, oh, well, we make it about, it's going to be about like being pro-life. And so therefore that justifies all of our behavior. It doesn't, it doesn't. And so don't be your own justifier. You, you could be in a situation where you might pull back and say, you know what, this is actually a good thing that I'm pursuing, but my behavior is communicating to me that this has actually become kind of an ultimate thing and a controlling thing. And I need to take a step back from that because I need to make sure I keep this in right perspective. I think that would help a lot. And so this is the boycotting thing. It might just be like, Hey, I don't need to post some like angry Facebook post. I can just say, I'm going to get lunch over here at this place, you know? And, um, and by the way, if you're looking for a business that is perfectly in line with following Jesus, good luck. <laughs> Cause even, even like, I don't know. It's even if you are, even a Christian owned business is like probably going to do things because we are going to do things in the church where one has freedom to do something and the other one doesn't. And then you make these, draw these black and white lines and it's just, it gets nutty really fast. Well, and it, you know, kind of coming full, full circle too, to, to the, to the last, I don't know if it's a sentence or just, yeah, last sentence, last verse of this psalm you know the pursuit of lord is this an idol in my life is ultimately to to ask that question is to pursue joy in him to ask and pursue the answer honestly and heart and with a heartfelt approach is to pursue the pleasures forevermore at his hand from his hand and being with him because those idols uh, not only do they make life difficult but they actually do steal joy and they steal life that we we're meant for. So all of this to me, it comes full circle back to our lives being full in him, which is, which ends up glorifying him, right? It ends up being an act of worship when we find all that we're looking for in him and him alone. And for us, our experience then is so much different because we're not being like gnawed at by these things that will never actually bring us life. But there's something in us that, that thinks maybe they will. Maybe if I just changed this or this person became a little different, if I could help them, we're never going to find life from these places. No, we're not. And I, I do want to make sure I want to just say one quick thing for, um, I know that it's a temptation for some people to then fear that they're turning everything into into an idol. So, so you have one ditch where there are people who just deny that there's any idolatry in their heart as they worship false gods. Um, but then there's another side that's so fear, like fearful that they're idolizing something. And so they're afraid that God will 
take that thing away because like, oh, what if I'm, do I love my kids too much? And if I idolize them, will that mean God's going to, you know, do something to them? And I've been struck by how real that fear is in a lot of people. And so I just want to be really clear that that's not the way God, um, it's not the way he functions. And the enemy, you always have to be reminded that the enemy doesn't care what direction he pushes you. He just wants to push you off the narrow road and into either ditch. And if your momentum is going to take you one way, then he's just going to be happy to throw you in. So if you are a person who's prone, like the bottom line is I would say this, if you're a person who's prone, if your initial reaction is, I don't have any idols, then you probably do. And I would encourage you to be more mindful um, and watch, give watch to your heart. But if you're a person who hears that and says, oh my gosh, I'm afraid this is an idol. I'm afraid this is an idol. What if this is an idol? Then I would say to you, I would just take a step back and realize that God is patient with us. And if your desire is to clear those idols from your heart and to pursue him, then he is pleased with that. And you don't need to be afraid. Um, to you, you don't need to to worry about that. Uh, it's it's like it's like with most things. If you're prone to worry about something, then the answer is probably, "Hey, relax. Don't." It's probably less, way less concerning than you than you're afraid that it is. And if you're a person who's prone to not like think, "Ah, oh, it's no big deal," it's probably a bigger deal than you <laughs> think it is. Like. Um, but unfortunately when we say things like that, the person who already doesn't think it's a big deal just gets further entrenched and they're thinking it's not a big deal. Ah, who cares? He's no big, God's patient and he's compassionate. And the person who is worried about it and thinks it's a big deal just feels like deeper in that and worries even more. And, um, God is not a God of fear. He is not a God of, um, anxiety. He is a God of peace. And his desire is that we, we follow him for yes, for his glory, but also for our, our joy. Cause he knows that there's, he knows that the path to life is the path to pleasures forevermore. And that's his desire for us. So I want to encourage you in that. And, and as always, if you have questions, I know sometimes we, we definitely don't shy away from hard things in scripture. One of the things that I realize happens is we can't exhaustively treat anything in 30, 40, 45 minutes, an hour. Like we just can't. And so it is important. That's one of the reasons why we have this platform, but we also can just meet and talk and, you know, and connect you with people and just grab coffee or lunch and, and just talk through specifics of, of your life so we can help you walk through this and, and follow Jesus and receive all he has. So, so don't, don't hide in isolation um, but connect, um, whether it's through an area lunch or just after service on, on worship or by calling or emailing um, so that we can we can help you connect with people who love you and point you to Jesus. So we appreciate your time. Hopefully this was helpful. If you have anything, obviously let us know. Until next time, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.